A reading from Exodus. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. And yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now if I truly have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to God, If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And God said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But God said, You cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of that rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Change. This is what our Old Testament reading for today is all about, my friends. Change. And this story, it's not just about acknowledging change as a fact of life, It's about embracing change as a spiritual discipline. In fact, change is so necessary to our spiritual vitality and our spiritual maturity that St. Benedict actually made all of his followers take a vow of conversatio morum. In other words, he made them vow themselves to change. At this point in Moses' story, in case you can't remember from back in Sunday school, the sequence of events in his life, he has already witnessed so many amazing, extraordinary, miraculous things. God had appeared to him in the burning bush and revealed his name. God had delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. God had defeated Israel's great oppressor, Pharaoh. God had provided manna for his people to eat in the desert, and he'd given them water from the rock to drink. God had given the law to Moses from a fiery cloud on the top of Mount Sinai. But not only that, 
Moses was also experiencing what saints down through history have called the uncreated light of God on pretty much a daily basis, something that every saint down through history has longed for, longed just to see just once in their lifetime. But here's Moses experiencing this light from light pretty much on a daily basis, right? Moses was living that mountaintop experience with God, right? The Kumbaya church camp experience that you never want to end, right? But here's the thing. Moses was wise enough to know that staying in that miraculous, mystical high, that's never the point of the journey. Moses was wise enough to know that parking oneself on that mountaintop experience with God forever, yeah, that's never the point. Change is. Change is the point. Living in the past, remembering all of those great things that God had done for his people, this was not enough for Moses. What does he say to God again? If your presence will not go with us, Lord, do not carry us up from here. God, if you're not going to be ever present with us, God, if you yourself do not lead us into the Holy Land, into the Promised Land, if you do not lead us into change, there's no longer any reason for us as a people to exist. Just let us fade away in this desert. Let us fade away from the history books. My friends, it was God's presence with his people that made them distinct. It was God's presence with his people that made them unique. It was God's ongoing presence with his people that made them relevant to the world around them. In this way, we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the planet. That is, if you go with us, Lord, says Moses. There are so many Episcopalians, older Episcopalians especially, who lament the fact that church today, it's just not what it used to be. And they think that if we could just do things the way that they were done in the past, well, then all of the church's problems, poof, they'd vanish, they'd be solved, right? If we could just replicate some long-lost golden era of our church, however you want to define it, but that era when we had a little bit more money and a little bit more people, young people especially, well, then, then we would be relevant again. Well, it is true that many of us today think this way, and I say this as someone who's pretty traditional, but while it's true that many of us think this way, this Old Testament story teaches us that this is not the way that great saints, this is not the way that great people of faith think. For one, the only thing, the only thing that makes us relevant as a people is God's presence with us right here, right now, in this moment.
My friends, it's never about what God has done for us in the past. Rather, it's God's presence in the midst of us in this present moment. That is the thing that makes us distinct. That is the thing that makes us unique. That is the only thing that makes us relevant. And without an awareness of God's abiding presence with us, we are no longer relevant. We are no longer unique. We are no longer distinct. In fact, I'd say we're hard-pressed to even call ourselves a church. At best, we're just a social club that nobody else really wants to belong to. Thus, the sad state of the Episcopal Church today and her rapid decline. Instead of longing for the past, we should yearn, yearn to experience God's presence in the here and the now. And it is here, my friends, that we encounter the deepest wisdom of this story, as if we have not gone deep enough already. Consider this. Moses had already experienced so much of God in the burning bush, in the fiery cloud on top of Mount Sinai, in the tabernacle, in the miracles of the wilderness. And yet Moses wanted more. Moses needed more. Lord, show me your glory, he says. Now notice what Moses does not say here. He does not say, Lord, show yourself to me in the exact same way that you did that one day at the burning bush. He does not say, Lord, show yourself to me in the exact same way that you did that one time in that fiery cloud on top of Mount Sinai. He does not say, Lord, reveal yourself to me in the exact same way that you revealed yourself through manna and through water. No, Moses simply says, Lord, show me your glory, I pray. In other words, reveal yourself to me in the way that you want to, not in the way that I've come to expect you to, Lord. Be something new to me today, Lord. Change my perception of you even, Lord. Moses did not confine his understanding of God to his past experiences of God. No, no. Moses was wise enough to know that God is not our idea of God. He didn't make an idol of his past encounters with God, and he certainly didn't expect God to always reveal himself to him in the exact same ways over and over and over again. No, Moses was genuinely open to change, so much so that he was open to God changing even. He was open to God being something new to him. But it is here, isn't it, my friends? This is where most of us stumble. This is where I've always stumbled, at least. You see, I tend, to I tend to sentimentalize and to fossilize those spiritual mountaintop kumbaya with Jesus experiences. 
And I tend to expect God to reveal himself to me, to speak to me in the exact same ways as he always has. And the tragedy is that most of the time, I'm so focused on repeating some previous spiritual mountaintop experience that I once had with God, that I'm completely oblivious to just how present God is with me in those valleys. Because I'm not expecting to find him in the valley. I'm not really looking for him in the valley. I'm hoping he's going to like suck me out of the valley and plop me down on the mountaintop, right? The sad thing is, I mean, I don't know about all of you saintly people, but most of my life, it's not spent on the mountaintop. It's spent trudging through the valley. My friends, so often we don't feel like we're experiencing God in this present moment, but this is only because we're too busy looking for him in our past. We're too busy trying to repeat some past experience with him. Question for you. What if God doesn't want to reveal himself to you today in the same way that he did yesterday? Is this not the whole point of this whole story? To put it in Moses' kind of lingo, like what if God doesn't want to limit his revelation to you (laughs) to just a fiery bush or a fiery cloud or just some manna? Or just some water? What if God actually wants to reveal to you just how much he has permeated your entire existence? What if God wants to show you just how much he has permeated your everything? What if he wants to take your breath away, to wow you, to shock you even, with just how close he has drawn near to you? Thus, we discover the real reason why Moses couldn't see God's face. No person can see my face and live, God says. (laughs) But it's not as though, like, if you just happen to, like, stumble into heaven by accident and then, like, stumble into the throne room and then stumble upon the sight of God, your body would just, like, automatically drop dead, like, as a corpse to the ground. (laughs) That's not what this is about. It's that... Well, as Moses was soon to find out, once you see God's glory, you become one with God's glory. And thus seeing God's glory, God's face, it's a lot like trying to see your own eyeballs through your own pupils. It's a lot like the fish in the sea trying to find water or a bird at flight trying to find some air, right? What does St. Paul say again, my friends? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. No one can see my face and live, God says. Or as the great Thomas Keating once said when he was asked in an interview why we can't see God. Like, why can't the average Joe, if God really does exist, why can't we, the average, the average Joe, the average people, the average person, see God walking around on this planet, right? Here's what Keating said. He said that when you've become one with God, and when God has become one with you, there's nothing left to see.
or put it in Meister Eckhart's language, how can you see God's face, my friends, when the eye through which you see God is the same eye through which God sees you? <laughs>